You are listening to a message from Mosaic Knox. For more information about our church, visit mosaicknox.org. Well, good evening. What's up with y'all? What's up with y'all? How y'all doing? I always got to do my awkward phrases as I get into the process. I, I promise you, beloved, I got to apologize to you. I didn't mean to come before you looking like this. Um, Hannah told me earlier, make your appointment for this haircut. And I said, I know the times they do it. And I walked in and they said, we don't have enough barbers to cut you today. So <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I come before you as I am. Um, we're going to be camped out in one Bible verse today. It's Psalm 511. Psalm 511. I think we got the fly for it. If not, um, I'm going to just read it. And if y'all got your Bibles like good Christians, you'll pull it out and we'll read together. And then uh, or use your phones. Here's what it says. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them. And may those who love your name boast about you. Let me read that one more again. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them shout for joy forever. May you shelter them. And may those who love your name boast about you. Um, Growing up in a Christian home, uh, my portion in life was to be in church 20 hours a week, indulge all the spiritual summer camps I could, love all the people around me, and hear all the sermons that make the same distinctions between happiness and joy. I don't know what it was like for y'all, but for me, the lesson in some way would boil down to this. Happiness is the good feelings we have because our circumstances are good. We're unencumbered, if you will. In joy, it's, it's the ability to look past the bad circumstances we are in while still keeping that good feeling inside because we know have, we have Jesus and that's enough. The problem to me with those definitions is that they place sometimes unfair responsibility on the individual to find and happen upon and nourish their own contentment. And I blame um, modern interpretations of Philippians 4, where Paul says, I have learned to live with plenty and little. Therefore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, to be clear, I don't think Paul is wrong. I don't think Jesus is enough is a false proposition. I just feel that it's been contorted. Uh, It somehow causes us to believe that if we can just happen upon joy and control it enough, if we can focus in on God in a different way and keep our perspective good, then we'll experience joy. Uh, I've discovered, though, that joy, it's actually a really difficult word and concept to explain and preach because we all use it but might be referring to it in different ways. Um, Once Yale University, they brought a band of psychologists, philosophers, and theologians together to try to bring a more unified meaning to the term and the experience that we call joy. They called this effort the Theology of Joy and Good Life Project. And I feel like they did a good job with creating a definition, though it doesn't claim to be the authoritative one by all means. In fact, I didn't know there were studies and research on joy, but they said the consensus is uh, we don't have a good grasp enough of the outer and inner workings of joy. We need more funding (laughs) for this. And I said, funded all you can. I'll I'll, I'll pitch in. Um, Here's how they define joy, though. Um, Joy as a positive emotion, an affective 
concern-based construal is a positive affective response to an objective external good construed rightly and about which one is rightly concerned. Now, I know what you're thinking. I should have had that on the slides, but Lord, forgive me. But this is what it means. Joy has three components. It's affective, affective, which means the determination of joy includes how we are affected by something. How we feel. It's how we feel. It is concern-based, meaning it responds and it, it understands our surroundings correctly. It evaluates the circumstances around us properly. And what concerns our joy, what contributes to our joy is that it's a construal. It's, it's construed. It means joy comes by virtue of what we perceive. So there's those three elements. Joy as a positive emotion. It's affective. It touches how we feel. It it is concern-based. It evaluates circumstances and hopefully properly. And it is perceived. How we're viewing something even if it's not right. Let me just try to share a story that can hopefully illustrate these components of joy. Uh, it's about my dad. Uh, I wish y'all could meet him. He's a lovely man, very gentle, very handsome like me. And so uh, I should have brought a picture of him. The slides, man, I really messed up. However, okay, so my dad, he's from Ethiopia, right? He was 19 years old. And this is kind of crazy because when he was 19 years old, the soldiers were trying to snatch up young men to be part of the army. <laughs> there was no recruiting. There was no drafting going on. They was just like, if you look... Uh, like you got the type of body, if you look like you got the type of fortitude to endure, um, like heavy, heavy fire and all of those things, you're, <laughs> you're right to be taken. So my dad and some of his brothers, they actually ran to more rural parts of Ethiopia where there weren't as many soldiers. So he went to his uncle's house, right? And he's like, all right, I'll be safe here. But one of the days his uncle shouted, hey, Futsum. What a He go to your room. They're coming. They saw him from a distance. So my dad, he he's sleeping in the same room as his younger cousin. We call her Tatsu, and he hides in the ceiling tiles because there wasn't really another place to go. But as you know, ceiling tiles could also be explored if you're good at hide and seek. Anyway, so they're coming, and my dad's hiding. But the problem is, before he closed the ceiling tile, he's looking at his bed, and he left his shoes there. So if they had come into the room, they would have realized, oh, snap, someone's hiding. We, we know there's a young man here who we could take just like we've been tipped off. But amazingly, Meryl Tatsu, the five-year-old who was sleeping in the room, she woke up and she saw his shoes. She picked them up and she walked over to the uncle's room, put them by his bed. So it would look like those were his shoes if they were searching around. And they just searched the house and they leave. And my dad, he goes safe. When asking my dad about how he felt before the soldiers left, he said that he was overwhelmed with fear, right? There was almost a sense that his future was sealed and his body, it could feel the weight of war right there as the soldiers were approaching. And when we talk about, when we talked about what happened after they left, the opposite type of overwhelm overcame his body. Joy. (laughs) He had experienced the lightness that came with knowing he was safe. That is the affective part of joy, right? That's what he felt. He, he felt safe. And the construal part of his joy in that story is that he perceived the de- danger had subsided. 
And he could go back to his bed. And luckily, he was right in his concern, uh, in his uh, construal. And last part, the concern-based part of his joy was vindicated. He was justified in that that perception was correct. He lived to never be kidnapped by the Ethiopian army. And I'm very thankful because y'all wouldn't have had the chance to have me. You know what I'm saying? You see, my father's story and what I believe David is modeling for us in this song that I read at the beginning of our time together is inviting us to graduate past this notion of joy that requires us ourselves to apprehend it and master it in dire need. How many of us who have been Christians like for a long time, uh, and I mean for several years, know the shame of not feeling joy amid our sorrow? It's like you have a hard time. It's like, no, I should feel joyful right now. Jesus is my everything. I know I felt that way. This is why I think we focus on the wrong thing concerning joy sometimes. We tend to think we can find joy in doing and accomplishing certain things. And to an extent, that's true. But what's more true, what's more in line with the testimony of the God of David and our God, is that as Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, what a name, says, joy, it discovers us. That's what I believe the point of the passage is tonight. Joy is the experience of being discovered and protected by God from the corners of danger we find ourselves in. Joy, it is the experience of being discovered and protected by God from the corners of danger we find ourselves in. My first point is this. Joy comes from the knowledge that we are protected. The first part of the verse, Psalm 511, it says this. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. David, leading up to this verse, he's praying for God to actually notice him and deliver him from a rough situation from his enemies. That's the context. This is a common structure in the Bible, as we know, the acknowledgement of despair and weariness, followed by the hope to delight in and to be satisfied by God. Verse one of Psalm five says this. Listen to my words, Lord. Verse two, the beginning of it. Pay attention to the sound of my cry. Verse 10, in talking about his enemies, David says, punish them, God. These prayers, they have a gritty angst to them. The desperation of a surfer hoping the rescue team sees him as the current is trying to plunge him under. The enemies of David were many. His son Absalom, he tried to usurp his throne. If you remember 2 Samuel, he sexually violated David's concubines in the sight of all Israel. David was hunted after to be killed by Saul. He was overlooked by his father, Jesse. He was annoying to his brothers. None of these people to David were safe and actually had the power to destroy David's livelihood. Like my dad in the ceiling styles. If the soldiers found him vulnerable is all he would be. The conditions, they wouldn't really be conducive to the positive emotion of joy where just a supernatural pep in his step would come about. Even a less intense joy, a a serene joy, as psychologists call it, where inner calm is the main goal. It's, It's fluid in the situation, and it's not a proper evaluation of everything going on. Yet, as we read verse 11, David still felt there was a possibility for him to rejoice in the middle of his terror. Not because he was able to find God all on his own, but because he knew God to be a refuge. 
a shop blocker of violent shooters, a messenger of good news and relief in our trouble. David knew God to be the one that would find him when he was lost. And this God who found David is the one who found Israel over and over again. And he is the one who finds us today. This choice to take refuge in God, it's a core part of Israel's history, a history of which collective memory was the way they could stand in the face of evil and picture that Red Sea swallowing up their oppressors, a history that contained the memory of all the feasts they would have to commemorate God freeing them from enslavement, as well as Babylonian and Assyrian captivity. Israel's God is a God of refuge because of this God's track record of noticing his people and doing something about it. Though mysteriously at times, right? In Exodus 22, 23 through 25, it says this. When they were going through, uh, like Pharaoh made them uh, come up with their own bricks because Moses uh, and all of those things, they was building the pyramids and all that, I think. But Israel groaned because of their difficult labor and they cried out, And they cry for help because of the difficult labor ascended to God. God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham. In Psalm 34, David again says, I sought the Lord and the Lord, what? Answered me. I don't know who of us can tap into our memory banks right at this moment and give God praise for the freedom we've experienced thus this far. But I sure hope we can see it at some point. Maybe go home, ask your wife, ask your friends. How has God been faithful to us? Take a goodness inventory. That's my friend Alicia Akins. She'd be writing just ways God has been good and faithful and protected her through her whole life. I pray our hearts and our eyes haven't been so jaded by the wickedness we see that we ultimately forget God has remembered And protected us from many things, millions of which none of us will even know. This surpasses, y'all, just having feeling good, good feelings inside. It entails having a friend who walks close to us in our darkest times. It is an opportunity not for us to discover joy on our own, but to learn how to be aware of the care. Oh, that rhymes. That's cute. God has shown us and to respond to the rescue he has already performed. This is a joy that affirms no one. And I mean, no one could do for us what God has. I ain't going to lie to you. In my life, there have been many opportunities to step outside of that care, to step outside of that uh, protection. Many opportunities to submerge myself in an ocean of debauchery and never swim back up to the surface. But God, right, Amy? But God, right, James? But God, but God, with that ever curious grace, made me. Buoyant. <laughs> I was floating and had no idea how, but I had joy because God saved me and is saving me, saving us from our self-destructive habits. I don't know what type of circumstances y'all are facing, but I know some of you have stared face, death in the face, and death in the face, and God, your refuge, brought you out. You were in precarious places where dangerous people were literally chasing you down and they meant to harm your body, but you somehow escaped. Or you were so sick that the post-surgery analysis wasn't looking too good, but somehow you turned a corner. Call me naive, but it is for show and bounds for those of us who take refuge in God to rejoice in God when God has found us and come through for us over and over again, right? Psalm 511 continues on to say, let them shout for joy forever. Again, David is praying and singing this in a time of deep need. 
So this seeming imperative, right? English students, let the let imperative, but let do this for us. It's a command he's making God. Rather than it being an imperative for God to let us shout for joy forever, it actually has a layer of anticipatory future hope to it. He knows we won't always laugh, David knows this, or always feel joy in the current iteration of our lives. We also know this. The expectation to shout for joy forever in our world would be dismissive to a lot of important matters. Right now, as I think of, like, I can't shout for joy together forever, I think of Tyree Nichols, the brutal beating and killing. For this I shout, <laughs> but it ain't for joy. It's, it's, with, lament. it's with lament. It's with tears. It's, it's with fear. It's with anger that I shout into a world that has reigned with oppression over black bodies for centuries where mothers and fathers and siblings continue to scream the question, how long, O oh Lord, have you forgotten us? I think of the many Latino and multiple immigrant families to whom many banks prey on by promising loans that will help it actually bind. And it is not the joy of refuge they know. Rather, it is the question, who will see us? Who will love us? I think of the homeless people being stuffed into shelters. Praise God for those shelters, by the way. Because of rushed evictions with no grace periods to creatively make do. Or because they were in a living situation that was not as stable as they had originally thought. They are not shouting with joy. They are shouting on cold nights right on the interstate exit. Does anyone believe me? I think of the elderly and handicapped and isolated who on most days wonder if anyone knows they exist. They are shouting not for joy, but for the tender gazes of those who will care to look. Let them shout for joy forever might sound a little uh, eager. It might sound a little overblown, but there is a day. This is the anticipatory future hope, right? There is a day coming when our world will Revel in the discovery that joy has found us. It has discovered us and protected us finally. Let them shout for joy is not so much a command and expectation as it is a promise we can cling to. A foretaste of what we will experience when Jesus renews all things. The vanishing of all evil will occur and our joy, it will be complete and we will shout for joy forever. Until then, in this present age where we experience pockets of joy, there's one responsibility. And the responsibility isn't to master joy. The responsibility for those who take refuge in God is to love God. This is beautiful and it leads to my final point. Joy comes from the discovery that we're protected. And then love is the natural expression of joy in our protector. A month ago, this church community, Mosaic, we met downstairs. I don't know if y'all remember that. I know 30 days ago is pretty long, and y'all have had a lot of life happen to you since then. But we met downstairs to discuss what we want our lives to look like in this neighborhood. And the central idea behind the information we long, the formation we long for, if you remember the front of your packets, let's say it together, is Mosaic, a way of... Y'all ain't really about this life, huh? It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a way of life in God for the world. That's what we went downstairs for, the central idea. <laughs> a way of life in God for the world. When we know what God has saved us from, then we know, then we can know what God has saved us too. 
And it's not just to avoid sin and to know that death will not keep us in the ground forever and that we will experience full joy one day. I'm happy for that, but that's not it. No, it's to make known God's love for us and our love for God known to the world so that the world can encounter the God who finds and protects them in their most dire places, just as he found us. In that meeting downstairs, it seemed evident to me, at least, that the people in the room were those whose strength is the joy of the Lord and whose desire is to spread that joy into 37917, maybe 37919, 37912, 37911, whatever. And I perceived people with the story to tell of God's faithfulness to them. I sensed passion with some to bring healing to the brokenness surrounding them. I felt a call to pursue a wholeness in the places where harm stalks and chaos abides. This is what I believe David had in mind when he penned. May those who love your name boast about you. I know we know this, but loving the name of God is not just liking the way Jesus or Yahweh sounds. That would be cool if that's all it required, right? Hey, Jesus, I boast in that name. Ben, finish up that rap lyric for me. We got to. All right. Anyway, <laughs> now love for God's name is an admiration. In the, it's an admiration in the character of God that we aim to replicate in our city. My big bro, uh, Trey Ferguson, he says that loving God and doing theology, it must carry the potential to alter the conditions that create the need for so much of our personal formation. We're, we're, what we're doing as a community, we're carrying potential to alter the conditions in our city. Boasting in the name of the Lord is seeking the peace of our neighborhoods and loving God while doing so. Boasting in the name of the Lord looks like being comforted by Jurgen Moltmann's meditation that there is someone waiting for me who will not give me up, who goes ahead of me, who lifts me up, someone to who I am important. Loving and boasting in the name of the Lord means rejoicing in that we have been forgiven of much. We've been forgiven of forgetting that God has been with us for hurting those around us and for sometimes denying that there is a world to come where God will show us he's been at work redeeming us all along. This type of life, though, is only possible when we're living in community. Remember, that's another part of the discussion we had downstairs. Community, commission. What was the other one? Communion. When we're checking in on each other and curious about how God is speaking to us and working through us. How are we encouraging one another with the promises of God and empowering the world with the word of God? Being sent into a world with love and sacrifice and hope. When we are holding each other up, that's how we know we are protected by God and experiencing God's love and joy. Even when it doesn't feel like God's hand has come out of the sky or uh, all of these supernatural ways we really look for God's hand to help us out. It's by looking to Jesus, beloved, the one who told the rich young man, follow me. And by noticing the disinherited of our time, those around us who are marginalized, that we find the answer to how we'll make it through and find joy even when we don't have much of it right now. Jesus on Calvary, he he experienced that at the place where love, where, let me say that one more time. Calvary was the place where Jesus showed us love was more powerful 
than dominance and material acquisition. We do not want to be a community just trapped and encumbered and tempted by the lures of just what we can have now. The cross not only tears the veil so we can have relationship with God, but it reprioritizes the goal of our wallets, namely so we can have solidarity with, to show our neighbors the protection and provision of God. Jesus, the one who emptied himself so that we may know God is our exemplar of calming the chaotic circumstances and disenfranchisement, racism, eviction, greed. It is there in the face of Jesus and in the mud with the oppressed, in laying down our lives for the good of those around us, that the better way, love, will be dispensed and joy will find us. We will be reminded that God has been protecting us the whole way and looking to save many more through our witness. Let's pray together. Father God, it's in the name of Jesus that we come before you, asking you to let those who take refuge in you to rejoice. Let us shout for joy forever. May we be aware of the ways you take notice to us and that you have covenanted with us to protect us, to keep us safe, and to infuse us with joy, to save us from sins, to save us from harm, and to save us for others to experience a life where there is some type of peace. As we sing together and as we uh, experience the closing of the service, that through our daily experience, we, we'd be considering how to check up on one another, Father. That we would live in that community, commission, and community for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbors. So that we can boast in your name, not just by saying Jesus saves, by, by showing that love has really reached us and joy has really found us. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. If you want more information about our church, please visit us online at mosaicnox.org.